welcome to Behind the Deal, where you get the inside scoop on the wealth management industry's merger and acquisition activity, straight from some of the top dealmakers in the business. In episode seven, we go behind the deal with Bob Oros, CEO of Hightower Advisors. Hightower has been one of the most active acquirers, and in this interview, we learn what's driving the firm's current and future M&A activity. Hi, I'm Mark Bruno, and welcome to Behind the Deal. Today, we have episode six, a very special guest, Bob Oros, the CEO of Hightower Advisors. Bob, thank you so much for being here today on Behind the Deal. Thanks, Mark. Uh, happy to be here with you and look forward to uh, our discussion. Yeah, and looking forward to jumping right in. I think you know, a lot of the people uh, who listen to this podcast are familiar with Hightower, familiar with you from a distance. So I'd love to be able to obviously go behind not just one deal, right, but the deal uh, with Hightower. Um, you obviously joined in January of last year. You've been very busy in a lot of different ways um, since starting there and very, very active in the M&A community over you know, the course of what has been a really interesting 2020. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, before we jump into some specifics, could you just offer, since you joined, a little bit of an update on the activity, a number of deals that you guys have engaged in since you took over um, and how that's contributed to your overall growth? Yeah, ha- happy to. So uh, let me make sure I get the number right. I think we've announced 11 deals since I joined the firm. And, you know, I think it's it's appropriate to step back and just remind everybody, like we've made a decision that we want to be really good at growing through acquisition. Uh, and so like we've built a whole team around this. And so you don't do 11 deals uh, by having a couple people running around working on it part time. You know, this is an area we, we think we have a real core competency, but, but I also want to share this, this is obviously a driver of growth and a very important one, but it, it's certainly not the only one. And, and I think what's most important, and it probably leads into some of our other conversation, is really organic growth. And so we're very focused first and foremost on that. And, you know, we're proud in 2019, we grew at 9.6%. Uh, and we measure that in a, in a real same-store sales uh, basis way. So net new assets, uh, no market, no acquisition. And it's really the one-two punch of, you know, organic growth plus, you know, acquiring really great RAAs that, you know, makes our business go. Great. Um, now, I'm glad that you mentioned what the, the balance is there, right? Uh, because you're obviously not just all one thing. You've been very active as an acquirer. Um, and like I mentioned before, as a lot of people know, you've been very active over the last you know, several months in particular. Um, I think before we get into some of those specifics, it'd be really helpful if we just understood what it is that you and your deal team, when you're evaluating M&A opportunities, what are some of the things that you're looking for specifically when you're assessing some potential targets and fits? So the one, the one thing we don't look at is size. So it may look that way from the outside looking in because many of the, the deals we've announced are larger in size, but, but I just want to, you know, be really clear that that's not because we have a minimum size. I think it's a little bit of selection bias because larger firms are engaging professionals such as your, your firm uh, to help them think about their strategic options. But we really, you know, we'll talk to advisors up and down the size spectrum because we're focused on quality and quality to us is, is really starts and ends with the team. You know, we are not operators. We don't want to come in, do a deal, and take somebody over. Uh, 
And also, we don't want to come in and fix something that's broken. So we're looking at, uh, and we're looking for really great firms with a great leadership team who have a long runway, who really are looking for a catalyst to help them grow bigger, faster. So, so that's what we want. And, you know, so underneath that sort of qualitative, you know, standard we look at is, so what is their growth? You know, real net new asset growth. And we'd like to see firms that are growing doesn't mean they need to be double-digit growth because we also have belief that once we start working together, you know, we can grow it faster. Uh, but we're really looking for that. We're looking for talent. So, you know, beyond the first generation of leadership, is there a next generation identified? Mm-hmm. And if they're identified, have they done anything to develop them? You know, we, we look at, uh, are they reinvesting in the business? So do they have a business strategy? Have they been following their strategy? And are they making the right investments in talent, technology? So it's a little bit of all that that goes into us assessing whether we think it's a business that might be a fit for us. Okay, that's good to know. And I do actually want to go back to one point that you made. You talked a little bit about just assessing, you know, can you help them grow? Um, I'm curious, there are so many firms out there, as you know, that are doing acquisitions right now that are, whether you call them professional buyers, roll-ups, aggregators, consolidators, platforms, right? We haven't settled on a term yet. Um, but what are some of the things that you at Hightower do, you particularly well, you think, that can help a firm that you're talking to grow? Where are the complementary parts that you're looking for? So, so I think it starts with, you know, if we have a business that's got a disposition for growth, meaning they have a growth mindset, First and foremost, we try to bring them more time. So by taking a number of the things off their plate that are important in running the business, but are outside the client value chain. And by that, you know, just to give you some examples, like we're going to take over HR, finance, compliance, the things that really matter. But honestly, most, you know, RIAs, most founders don't love, or it's, it's a part of somebody's job. So we want to take that off of their plate to give them more time to focus on serving clients and finding the next new client. And then we really try to to stimulate the growth through a purpose-built growth strategy. So proper employment of marketing, having a marketing strategy, well-defined niches that you're going after. Uh, We use marketing automation to run campaigns, to drive content, and then we measure everything. Uh, we'll, we'll engage in SEO on behalf of uh, our advisor businesses, and we'll even help with website development. So we really try to bring that marketing machine uh, to a business that, you know, most lack a little bit of that, you know, sort of industrial strength. Sure. And I appreciate that because that's, I think, an important thing to focus on you know, with so many different options in the marketplace for firm leaders right now, um, that's a good thing, right? Um, So if they're looking at ways that they can accelerate their own growth, I think a lot of the things that you just mentioned speak right to some of their pain points. So thank you for adding that. I appreciate it. Um, I think what you just said is really important for people to, to just take a second listen to, which is all the optionality available. Like I'm the last person that's going to sit here and tell you, number one, everybody should do a deal. And number two, everybody should do a deal with Hightower. The only thing I will say is I have a firm belief everybody should be educated. So you should know what are the options available to you. You should have your own view of what you think your strategic path is. And if that's go it alone, continue to do what you're doing. Like, 
you know, I think that's fantastic. That's an informed decision. You know, the only, the only place I would challenge is if people aren't aware of what's available uh, because there are so many great options and great firms that can be helpful. And if you know what you're trying to accomplish and you know what your non-negotiables are, then I think you can make a really informed choice, even if that's do nothing. And that's a great point. And thank you for adding that too. There are so many people right now that are seeing or hearing about valuations. Maybe they're getting unsolicited offers and they may not really be educated about what the marketplace looks like, you know, what they should be doing and what sort of the last and most important piece, what is right for them. Um, and appreciate you pointing a lot of that out because that's given some of the activity right now. And I'd love to drill down there for a minute. Um, I, it sounds like there'll be more options, right? Uh, as we look at the remainder of 2020 and head into 2021. Um, that said, it's been a, a crazy year. Can you just kind of give us your C-suite point of view on 2020, right? There's been a lot of activity, obviously, in the third quarter after we saw you know, slow down or things go sideways for a bit in the second quarter. But where are we now? What's driving activity? And what are some of the things that are coming for you, right, across the balance of 2020? So, so I think it's important for everybody to understand all these announcements you've seen from people like Hightower and others. These were all things that started well before the pandemic. Uh, and frankly, for us, every one of the deals we've announced this year started in 2019. Uh, we got a chance to know the management teams. We spent time together. And yes, a lot of the hard work was done in a remote way, but it, it didn't take the place of like the really important stuff, which is figuring out if there's a fit. So I think it gets easy to think, you know, hey, the deal gets announced. It just happened, you know, started a few weeks or months ago. These yeah. things take a while. And frankly, they yeah. should take a while. These are really important decisions for both parties. And, and so the, the, for us, these all started well you know, earlier, and as I said, all of them in 2019. So we, we saw in March, April, everything came to a standstill as everyone mm -hmm. tried to focus on serving clients, which is where they should put their attention. Absolutely. And so it, it pretty much was pencils down on everything we had active. And, and we put our pencil down because we didn't want to be tone deaf to what was going on out there. So we didn't try to engage anybody. I will say almost everybody picked the pencil back up at the same time. And so you had this like flurry of like, okay, now I feel like I understand what's going on. My clients feel okay. Now it's time to get back to it. And so for us, that resulted in a pretty active uh, summer, especially in terms of getting deals finished and announcing. But along, you know, along the same time, we have definitely seen new opportunities originate during the pandemic. And, and that really started in, say, June, July, and is definitely heated up in August and September, where, like, everybody's just gone through a really traumatic experience. Like, we've all just had a wake-up call. And we're not just an acquirer. Like, we run a business. Like, we had the same wake-up call when the S&P dropped to 2100 on what it does to your P&L. And, and I think that wake-up call has a lot of advisors re-engaged strategically. And they now, you know, they don't want to face the next one necessarily alone. And mm -hmm. so the activity has never been higher in terms of interest. And, and I think it's genuine interest. I don't think it's kick the tires interest. It's, you know what, I just went through this. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to get better and think about what's longer term for my firm. Because guess what? At a minimum, I owe it to my clients and I owe it to my employees to have a well thought out plan. So 
activity is picked way up. I think there's a, a threshold issue, you know, ourselves and others are going to have to deal with, which is, remember I mentioned all those deals we announced this year, we got to know last year. Mm-hmm. Like, are you willing to let Zoom or any of these other tools be a, a substitute for real time together, real time physically, seeing each other eyeball to eyeball, really getting to know someone? And, you know, our answer is no. Like, we wouldn't do a deal without spending time with the leaders. And, you know, I got back on an airplane for the first time two weeks ago to go spend a bunch of time with a great firm to do that, to have dinner together. Yeah. Socially distance and right. as, as safe a way as possible. But, but I think it's, it's almost flipping the deal process on its head where we used to do all that work in the beginning and then the transactional stuff. Now we're doing a lot of the technical stuff, and we, but we need to get to the relationship. Yeah. No, you make a lot of really great points in there, uh, especially in the you know, March, April, May timeframe. We actually found you can be a little bit more efficient using Zoom because you don't have to get the stars to align, right? You don't have to get 10 different companies in one city over the course of two days and everybody was just home and we could stack meetings on top of meetings. Um, but here we are now and you're at the beginning or early stages of some new cycles and that interpersonal re- interaction is crucial. Um, so I'm glad you pointed that out. And it actually brings me to my next question, which I think is one that very few people have really answered, right? But being in a remote world and bringing teams together, so not just evaluating new opportunities and meeting management teams, but when you have employees in Chicago and New York, potentially you know an acquisition target in California, Texas, you name it, how are you taking all these different teams and organizations and creating a feeling of one after a deal closes? Well, for us, it's, it's a little bit different because we want them to feel like common thread. Yeah. And we want that common thread to pull throughout the organization. But at the same time, we embrace the individualism of each of these businesses, which is why, like, there's no cookie cutter here. You know, we have people that invest in stocks and bonds. I have advisors that buy DFA. Now, you may say, wow, those two, those are like cats and dogs. They don't belong together. But you know what they have in common? They're great advisors who deliver world-class advice holistically. Yeah, how they execute is very individual. So, so mm-hmm. for us, it's about finding those common, you know, emotional themes that we can all get behind. And, you know, we have a culture committee at Hightower that's made up of folks in corporate, folks in the field across our businesses. So what we've really tried to do, and, and you said it, like we've, we've given up all those wasted hours sitting in airports and on airplanes and late nights checking into hotels. And we're using that time, I think, in many very constructive ways. So I used to do a quarterly town hall with the entire organization, every business, everyone in corporate. I'd get 100 people to dial in and listen on a teleconference. I now do a monthly video with 350 people that dial in. Mm. They don't dial in. Right. They join and, and, they, and we do it via video. And we are doing a lot more advisor to advisor sharing to create that feeling of community. Because as I will always say, you know, the, the risk of being a small business is you're a small business and you're only as good as the best thinking inside your four walls. But what if you can times that by the best thinking across a hundred different businesses? And now you get to leverage that on you and your client's behalf. 
like that that may sound you know soft and squishy but it's actually very real and so yeah. we we really focus on trying to create that sort of exponential impact from our community excellent i appreciate it's such a, an amazing time in the industry in general and then you look at the way the m a landscape and just the M&A ecosystem is evolving. I am curious if you look ahead to 2021 now, um, I know things are active and healthy. Um, it seems like being remote isn't a hindrance at all on deal making for you and lots of other folks. Um, but based on where we are today, let's just say you and I are talking again, September of 2021, what does the world look like? Um, and what has the first nine months of 2021 look like for Hightower? Well, if I was that good that I knew exactly what it looked like, <laughs> I'd be predicting who's uh, you know going to win the election, and yeah. which I don't have any prediction on, by the way. Um, <laughs> the world you know, of wealth management. Hey, we're 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 so bullish on this business and this industry. Yeah. Number one, I think it all starts with we are fiduciaries as RIAs, and it's such a great place to start when you're always putting the client's best interest first. You never act in your own interest. So I think it's just a great industry that continues to grow. Like it's hard to believe, but we still have more net new RIAs being created every year. So the industry is actually getting bigger. No matter how many press releases you see on people coming together, it's still an industry that's growing. But I think it's also an industry that needs scale. So I think you'll see this continued trend of advisors looking to draft off of other people's scale. I think you'll also see this continued. I'm not a believer of, of fee pressure in our industry at this point, but I am a believer in fee for value. And so mm -hmm. I think if you're an advisor, you have to continue to expand the value you're bringing to your clients to preserve the price you're getting today. If you do that, I don't think we see fee pressure. Uh, for those who don't, I think you put yourself at risk. So I think there'll be more demand for more services, more things to do. We like simplicity in our lives, whether it be in mm -hmm. our financial life or any other aspect. So the more I can get from one trusted person, the better. But you know, I think the way this industry has weathered a very unprecedented 2020 makes me very optimistic for 2021 because I think we will see some starts to normalcy, whatever the new normal is. And, and so I think it's going to be a very good year for the business. And, and I will also say this, and I don't think it's happened yet, that during times like we've just experienced is where it separates great advisors from the rest. And clients at some time, whether it's now or three months from now, are going to say, did I really get served how I think I should have during this really difficult time? And many are going to say no. And, and when they say no, they're going to find a new advisor. So, yeah. so I think great advisors have a huge opportunity, but also a huge challenge in front of them, which is you need to adapt to the new world. And you used to go get new business in a certain way. You need a new playbook. Doesn't mean elements don't stay the same, but how you deliver it has to change because a vaccine is not a silver bullet. There will be people that don't want the vaccine. It will take time for that to be broadly distributed. So, you know, my message to, to advisors is adapt. Like, don't try to fight this. Don't try to wait it out. Adapt to the new world and how people are getting comfortable being served. And don't be afraid to, to ask for the business, even if you may not have met that person. Yeah, and I think you know, part of it, you mentioned it earlier, 
because you also don't have to go at it alone, right? Um, and that is something that we've obviously seen over the last you know, several months, and we think will be a huge theme going into 2021 and throughout the year as well. Um, so with that, I actually want to make sure that we get to two of the standard questions on behind the deal. Uh, we always talk about deal makers and deal breakers, um, sometimes call it requirements and red flags. Um, but curious, is there anything when you're looking at a firm evaluating whether or not they're a good fit for you? You, know, you mentioned a few before, but is there one must have one requirement? Um, and then on the other end of it, is there any red flag where if you get a whiff of it, you just know no matter how good the financials are, right? It's just not the right fit for you. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give you one answer that actually answers both questions. And it's gotcha. all about how they've treated their leadership team. So we're still dealing with mostly generation one founders in this industry. We haven't yet really seen that full transition where it's now that second generation. So I'm always very interested in have they shared equity? So have they brought people into the ownership team and really shared the wealth. And, and, and that's part of preparing your team for succession and leading. So to me, that's very attractive. And if you look in all of the businesses we've acquired, you see a very uh, broad distribution of equity and ownership so that it's not one person. Yeah. Red flag, when I see a founder, and again, I think founders have earned the right to do whatever they want. But from, from my seat, if a founder has not distributed equity and has no interest in sharing any of the proceeds from the deal with the team that's gotten them there, that's a red flag. Yeah. It's not the first time I've heard that as a red flag. There was, we had a story a little while ago where there's one owner that wouldn't even bring the team in to meet with some potential acquirers and they never met again after that, right? So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I'm also glad you mentioned the equity piece um, because that is definitely something that we're seeing more firms, even if they're not looking to sell right now, they are actually evaluating how do I give equity to keep people, build a bridge to the next generation? And really that is sort of a telltale sign of a practice versus a business, right? For sure. Um, so thank you for drawing that out. It's not something that we've talked about yet. Um, and I also just want to end with the final question here. Um, I know you've been you know, obviously at Hightower since the beginning of last year, but this isn't your first exposure to M&A and deal making, of course, right? Um, so I'm curious, when you think back to beginning of your career, first time you started getting exposure to deals, what is one thing you know now that you wish you knew way back when? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and I think it gets really easy when you're doing a deal to get caught up in the deal, the mechanics, the modeling, the valuation, and, and to forget these are people. And at the end of the day, these are people who have emotions, they have insecurities, they have everything all of us have. And so you really need to take the time to understand what are the personal wins? Like what's really important to them at the end of the day? And, and I want to know that right up front. Like I really want to know the people and what matters because then we can, we always know it's going to show itself. Now the worst thing that can happen is it shows itself after the deal's done. And, and, and now it's something that actually becomes friction in the relationship. Whereas I want to know about it up front, like money aside, and don't get me wrong, money always matters. And if somebody tells you money doesn't matter, it means it matters all the more. But it, it is about there are things people care about when this is done. 
and I want to know about them because then we can tend to it during the process. Yeah. And that is such a great point. There's a natural energy that can consume you during the deal process. You know, so many people start out, I want what's best for my employees and my clients. And then you know, the, the, the deal itself is lowest in the priority list. You get into it three months later, everything's flipped upside down, right? Yeah. Um, so. Almost always. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. the way deals, oh, it's just the way deals, you know, sort of take a, take a life of their own. Uh, but if you don't tend to that other piece, I promise you it's going to show up. It's only a matter of when. No, it's a great piece of advice. I appreciate you pointing that one out. It's not something that we've touched on before. So thank you for that answer. And thank you just for taking some time to walk me and our audience through a lot of your experience at Hightower over the last year and a half. Uh, and also really what you see happening in the industry and for Hightower looking ahead. Uh, I think it's been really educational, really informative. Congratulations on a lot of the success that you've had since starting as a CEO at Hightower last year. And we look forward to having you back on Behind the Deal in September of 2021 so we can go back and look at your predictions. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> thanks for that. having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Let's definitely memorialize this so you can hold me accountable and tell me how I was wrong. Nobody ever does. Nobody ever scores the outlooks, the predictions, and the forecasts. But it's like we'll the weather. Be honest here. <laughs> All right, Bob, thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Deal. We appreciate it. We look forward to having you back again soon. Thanks, Mark. <laughs>